Welcome to the Graceway Bible Church Podcast, a place to be immersed in teachings from God's Word. We hope you will be blessed by the Word of God as we discover together what our Heavenly Father wants us to understand. If you would like more information about our church, how to know Jesus as your Savior, or teachings from the Bible, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org. Join us now as we dive into God's Word. Well, I am glad to be here. <laughs> A lot of anticipation waiting for this day. I'm grateful to be with you folks. I just want to welcome those folks that are online. Uh, thank you for being with us today. Um, we're grateful that you're joining online, and I want to ask you to do something. In the YouTube Live, would you just uh, comment your name? Ben's on there waiting to give you an announcement. I've got one for now, but don't go away. We're going to need, some other people will need them. If you would like one of these booklets online, just contact the office at Graceway, and we'll send one out to you so that you can keep track of what we're doing in the study of Nehemiah. How many of you are here today who are uh, sixth grade up to 25? Would you please raise your hand? Sixth grade up to 25. Okay. I want to make sure you get one of these booklets. So if you didn't get one, then Fernell and, and the rest of the ushers, could you give those? Hold up your hand. I want to make sure you get one because I want you and others to be able to take notes in this journal. It's like a spiritual journal for you for the next 12 weeks. We're going to study the book of Nehemiah, and on the one side of the page is the actual text of Nehemiah. And on the other side, you can take notes and write notes. So you can draw in it. You know, you're going to see the first word is chislev. What is chislev? You might circle it and say, I'm going to look that up later. Or, or the Susa, where is that? And so you can kind of take notes and then on the other side, write down the kinds of things you're learning and what God is saying to you. I want to tell you something today. God is going to speak. I don't know whether he's going to say something big or he's going to say something small. But we want to listen. I want to say a, welcome, a special welcome to my friend Ed Miller. I, I just can't believe you're here, Ed. Ed had a stroke last Sunday. And he's been in ICU all week. Yesterday, he was in ICU. Today, he's at church. And uh, I'm just honored that you would come to church, Ed. <laughs> so no excuses for not coming to church now, okay? <laughs> Welcome, Ed. I'm glad that you're here. Oh, okay. Would you please stand with me as we read God's word? I'm going to read it to you. Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, now, it happened in the month of Chislev, that's uh, November, December time frame, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, that's the capital of Persia, Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jew Jerusalem, 850 miles away. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eye Eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned 
We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. You may be seated. He was cupbearer to the king. Now, Nehemiah had this nice job. He was in the palace. The cupbearer wasn't just a glorified butler. His job was to taste the king's food and to drink the king's wine before the king did and that in case somebody wanted to poison the king. That was part of his job. Uh, but he was also a confidant of the king so that when the king had something to say, he really trusted this guy, Nehemiah. And so as we uh, look at this particular passage of Scripture, we're going to see Nehemiah writing. And you'll see there in the first verse that it's the words of Nehemiah. He's actually writing it down. So if you take your journal and you start writing in it, you'll be writing over his journal because he's writing these things, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah had a comfortable job for the most part, as long as they didn't try to poison the king. He had a very comfortable job, a lot of job security uh, that he had. Um, But God's going to do something in his heart. He's going to develop a a mission-oriented view of life. He's going to turn his heart toward a mission that's very significant. He's going to see broken down walls, and he's going to go, and he's going to try to help rebuild them. I I just want to say, I hope that's the message you receive today, that there are broken down things all around us, and God wants us to take on a mission-oriented view of life. He wants us to come alongside other people, build up them, build up the walls. We're going to see what happens, but I trust that God will do something in your heart today just to stir up this mission-oriented view of life. Well, let's go on here. We see that, uh, that this took place in the city of Susa. Now, let me just bring you up to speed on the hist- history so we know where we are in the timeline. Take you back to Israel's history. Let's look at the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. He was a good king. At least he started out good. But at some point in his life, he decided he would start doing things his way and not God's way. So God said, okay, I'm just going to have to take the kingdom away from you. And he did. He gave it to to David, who was a man after God's own heart. Now, we know that David sinned, but he still kept coming back to the Lord. What a heart that he had. He wrote a number of our psalms. When David passed off the scene, his son took the throne. His name was Solomon. Now, Solomon was also a good king to start out with. He asked for wisdom, anything that we could get we would ask for wisdom, as Solomon did. But the Bible tells us that at the end of his life, it says that his wives, and he had a lot of them, turned his heart away to serve other gods. Just a warning for us. If you're a young person thinking about getting married, make sure the person's a Christian so they're moving you in the right direction, not away from from God. When Solomon uh, moved off the scene, the kingdom split into two parts. You know, the northern kingdom is, is the... Kingdom of Israel, and it has 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah, and it has two tribes. The northern kingdom 
had 19 kings. The Bible says all of them did evil in the sight of the Lord. All of them. In 722 BC, the Assyrians came in and conquered the northern kingdom. Their policy was to take people away, but also to bring people in to intermarry, and that's exactly what happened. And so they intermarried with the Jews, and they turned into what we call the Samaritans, the half-breeds, which we'll learn about more when we look at the New Testament. In the southern kingdom, they lasted another 136 years. They had 20 kings, six were said to be good, and 14 were said to do evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Babylonian kingdom came in and they captured the Jerusalem and they took away people like we know, Daniel and his three friends. They went to Babylon and Daniel rose into the leadership of the king over his time in two different uh, um, reigns of kings. He moved himself all the way up to the top. Just God had his hand on Daniel. Well, the Babylonian kingdom fell, and the Persian kingdom took over. Now we're in the Persian kingdom here. And Susa is the capital of of Persia. But you might know it as Shushan if you study the book of Esther, because Esther was the wife of King Xerxes in Persia. That's who she was. That's how she came on the scene. We know about her because she's the one who rescued the Jews. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Xerxes had a son whose name was Artaxerxes. That's our guy here. That's the king that Nehemiah is uh, working for, which means that Esther and Nehemiah might have known each other. They're in the same time period. We don't know how long Esther lived, but certainly Artaxerxes heard stories from his father Xerxes about how his wife rescued the Israelite people, so maybe that had something to do with his interest in uh, answering Nehemiah's request in a positive way. We're in the city of Susa. Now, um, Nehemiah wanted to look at the news. He didn't have Google or YouTube or CNN or Fox or whatever you like to look at to find out what the news was. So he called his friends, and one of these was Hanani. And Hanani was his brother uh, of his, a Jewish brother. And he wants to know what's going on in Jerusalem. Tell me the update. What's happening in Jerusalem? Some more history here. There's already been two campaigns going to Israel. One was under the leadership of Zerubbabel. He went there and rebuilt the temple. So now we have the temple rebuilt. Then Ezra, he's the next excursion, and he takes people there, and and he uh, preaches and brings revival, as you're learning under Pastor Don in the evening, the story of Ezra. Well, now Nehemiah wants to know what's going on. Can you give me some update of how how our our uh, family members, how our Jewish people are doing in Judah. Can you give us an update? And so when Hani says these things, he says in verse 3, and they said to me, the remnants there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. Underline that word shame. Because we tend to think that the problem is the walls broke down. And they did. But there's also this inner problem of shame. If we look around in our world today, we see walls broken down in people's lives. He says in the next statement, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Doesn't take much looking around in our world to see brokenness. People discouraged, depressed, anxious. We see people with broken marriages, a divorce, or a a child who's gone astray or a physical problem, disease, or some kind of a challenge with work. 
And there's bad things that are going on in, li- in the lives of people. There's those structures. But then there's the interior thing that's going on. It's the shame that people experience also in their hearts. And we need a building to take place. Not just a building of, of walls. We need a building of the people's hearts. The walls represented security and peace. People need that today. And as we look around in our world today, we see brokenness at every turn. In fact, we even can look inside and see the own brokenness in our own hearts. Nehemiah is going to hear this news, and when he does, this mission-oriented view of life is going to start to develop inside of his heart. In fact, there are three parts of this mission-oriented view of life I want to share with you. The first one, I'm going to call this a godly burden. You can write that on the side of your page near this verse, verse 4. It says, as soon as I heard these words, just feel his pain here, I sat down. And I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He just, he has this godly burden. We need that. Because our world is hurting. We need to have a godly burden. It can be very easy when you see brokenness here and problems here. The first thing many people do is they complain. They complain about the leadership. They complain about the food. They complain about the living conditions. Complaining, complaining, complaining. It's one thing to complain, and it's another thing to be part of the solution. Nehemiah says, I'm, God, what are you doing here? I want to be part of the solution. There's brokenness all around us. We don't want to succumb to the temptation of complaining. But then there's this other temptation we have of apathy. Oh, there, another shooting. Oh, well. Oh, well, the war continues. Do you know behind every one of those disasters and traumas that take place in life, there are real people. Real people suffering, real people hurting. Every time you pass a homeless person on the side of their, oh, there's another homeless person, there is a real person there that's hurting. Every time we talk to other people, whether it's at work, in our neighborhood, at home, wherever we are, we can look past the facade that's there and we can see the brokenness, the broken walls, the feelings of shame that exist. And when we do, our heart starts to weep. We pray and we fast before the Lord and we say, God, How can I be part of the solution? And that is so strategic for Nehemiah because the compass changes in his life. He gives up the comfort zone of his cushy job. And he does something that's very difficult in his life. I would say that sometimes we gravitate toward our comfort zones. Things start to be kind of cushy in our lives. And maybe God wants to move us into what I call a godly discontent. I am not happy with where I am right now. God wants to do something more in my life. And when he does, then the compass changes and we develop this mission-oriented view of life. You know, young people, some of your friends have a mission. They believe their mission in life is to have fun. They believe their mission in life is to get to the next level of the video game. Oh, but that's not just for young people. There are a lot of adults who, the next, my next vision is to get the next $1,000 in my bank account or the next million dollars, wherever you are, because there's a mirage there that says, if I pursue this, I'm going to have happiness. So if I were to draw this out, we have this mission-oriented view of life, and I'm going to show you three things that are under it, but there's a something above that I'm not telling you about yet. There's something above that. It has to do with fulfillment and purpose and meaning, satisfaction, Happiness in the sense of a real happiness. That's the part. I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but not yet. That's going to come at the end of the sermon because it comes in the end of our passage. I'm going to tell you what that is. But right now, 
Nehemiah is developing this mission-oriented view of life, and I hope God is doing something, stirring you in that area that I just can't be content where I am now. God is doing something in my heart saying, I need to do something more. And I don't know what that looks like for you. But the first thing we see under this mission-oriented view of life is he gets this godly burden. The second thing we see is that he develops this, I'm going to call it an honest prayer, an honest prayer before the Lord. Because we know that we can't do anything without God's grace and coming to him. It's his grace that allows us to do anything, so we don't just take a burden and run with it. We ask for God's grace to work in our lives, to take us where we need to be. And so he starts the prayer this way, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. Oh, I love that word awesome there. It's still used today. That was an awesome pizza. (laughs) Or that was an awesome show I watched. No, 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 this is a different awesome. This is like, God, you are so awesome. So he first draws attention to the greatness of God, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He goes on to talk about uh, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel and your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. But notice that he makes it personal. Even I... And my father's house have sinned. I just think this is so helpful. It's an honest prayer. It's an honest prayer that says, Lord, I'm broken down. It's everybody else's fault. That isn't what he says. You know, sometimes in a marriage relationship, a person will say, just change my spouse. If my spouse would change, I'd be fine. We call that a victim mentality. If everybody else would change, I'd be fine. You know, if you're in a struggling marriage, you want to do this. You want to draw a line, a circle. Draw a circle around yourself. And then fix everything in the circle. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. He's saying, Lord, we have sinned. Starts with, God, you're so big. Secondly, we are so small. We recognize that God is big and we are small. We're setting the stage for a mission-oriented view of life because God wants to do something big. And then notice down further, he says, "Uh, I'm going to draw attention, Lord, to your commands. I want to go to your word and I want to see your promises. So he says, if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, Though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, and from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Wow. He draws on the attention of God, and notice the last day in verse 10, he says, They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Now, I want you to note strong hand there, because it is the strong hand of God that's guiding our lives, and we want that. In our hearts. So he's talking about the strong hand of God presented there. This is really interesting. Notice, as Nehemiah is concluding his prayer, he uses the word today, which brings me to the third thing. I think we, if we're going to have a mission-oriented view of life, number one, we're going to have this godly burden. Number two, we're going to have this honest prayer. And thirdly, we're going to take advantage of opportunities. I'd write that down. Take advantage of opportunities. Nehemiah says... O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. You get the impression today. It means today, right? And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. That's the king. Today. You get the impression it's going to happen right away. But it doesn't. Let me take you into chapter 2 because we want to see what the opportunity looks like because now we go to another month. It says in the month of Nisan. That's not a car. That's a month here. And he says, in the month of Nisan, which happens to be March, April. That's four months 
away. See, I think we need to get up every day and we say, Lord, today would you use me? Lord, I know there are people unsaved out there. Their walls are broken down. They need the grace of God to come into their lives. They need the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ to change them so their walls can be built up. Lord, I pray today that you would give me an opportunity. And every day we pray, today, Lord, is this the day that you want me to share with my coworker? Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share with my neighbor? Lord, would you give me an opportunity to share with my, my child or my my spouse. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to, to rebuild the walls? I'm praying today, Lord, but it doesn't happen for four months. Fascinating. That's why I say we need to take advantage of the opportunity. Watch the opportunity unfold here. He says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence because he knew you don't be sad in the presence of the king. Because they would just offer you and get another happy person in there. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you're not sick? This doesn't look like a biological problem going on here. Uh, it doesn't look like you're sick. There must be something going on deeper inside of your heart. So he says, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Isn't that how it happens? You pray for opportunities, and when the opportunities come, you go, uh-oh, here we are. You know, and so uh, he, he prays for this opportunity. He was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. That's always a good thing to say when you don't know what else to say. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Or what can I do for you? Or what do you need? Oh, my goodness, this is, this is the opportunity of a lifetime for Nehemiah, who has this godly burden. He has this honest prayer. He's waiting for an opportunity, and here it is. Someone says to you, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? Are you ready? Or do you say like Peter did, oh, no, I don't even know that guy. This is the opportunity to share. And so when the opportunity comes, you want to be ready. And so what does he do first? Do you see that? When that takes place, it says that, so I prayed to the God of heaven. This is what you call one of those arrow prayers. You know, young people, you can study and study, and while you're studying, you're saying, Lord, help me remember all this stuff. There's so much stuff here. Lord, I can't do all this by myself. Please help me remember these things. So that's what you do in your study time. But you get to the test, and you say, God, here it is. Help me out. This is the arrow prayer that we send out to the Lord. There are 11 prayers in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to look at each one of them as we go through the 13 chapters. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, now, he's a pretty bold guy here. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So first thing is, would you give me a leave of absence? Because I want to go rebuild. Rebuild. I want to be part of the solution. I want to go there, and I want to help build these, these walls. This idea of rebuilding is, is powerful here. The idea is taken into the New Testament, Jesus well, he grew up in the home of a carpenter. Maybe he learned how to build something in that regard. But Jesus uses the same terminology when he, he looks at Peter and he says, upon this rock, speaking of Peter's faith, he says, I will build my church. You see, the vehicle that God has chosen in this particular age to reach people and to rebuild their lives is God's church. That's what he's chosen. It's the church, even all of some imperfect people. God has chosen the church to be this place where people grow and develop, and Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. Well, Paul takes the same idea as he's talking about leadership in the New Testament. He says, uh, here's all these leaders. It's their job to equip the saints for the work of ministry. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. Well, that means that the, the building up isn't just outside the walls. Sometimes the building up is inside of our own hearts. We come to the Lord. We come to church. We come to um, the presence of God so that he can do the rebuilding. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, man, I, I do need some rebuilding. I got some real st- struggles in my heart, some, cha- some, some pain in my life. that, that is, I don't know if I'll ever overcome that. And God wants to just rebuild in your life. Peter takes the idea up, and he says that we're all like living stones, that when we put together, we create this edifice God calls the church. But we're like living stones. The idea is that God is building in each one of us. We're not perfect people, but we're growing. And God wants to pour his grace in each one of us and and rebuild us in our lives so that we can turn around and contribute to others. We can have this mission-oriented view of life. So the first thing he asks is, hey, would you please let me go back and rebuild? And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, that seems to be an important part of the decision-making process, probably Nehemiah orchestrated that, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, because he's really bold, he's going to ask for two more things. He says, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. He wants a security detail. He wants official papers so that he will be on, able to go over there. That's a pretty big thing to ask for. And then he asks for another thing. He says, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. He's asking the king to finance this whole thing. Well, that's a pretty bold request that Nehemiah has. But Nehemiah has this burden, and when he pours his heart out before the king, the king says, how can I help? What can I do? And Nehemiah says, let me tell you. And he gives him these three things that he can do. Now, Nehemiah has this mission-oriented view of life. It changes the compass. Instead of, and I'm not suggesting Nehemiah was just going after pleasure by living in the, in the, in the uh, king's palace, but there can be a tendency for us to enter into a comfort zone of our lives and say, hey, I'm fine. And, and we become immune to the, the needs that are out there. And I believe God wants to change our focus. He wants to move the compass in every one of our lives. Maybe you have a mission-oriented view of life, but maybe the mission has grown stale, and it's time to reorient it. Maybe the mission that God has for you is to do something new in your life than you've seen before. God wants to work in our hearts. He wants to do amazing things. That's the mission. But you know why we do that? It's because we need the thing at the top, the fulfillment, the... the um, The things we look for in life are really there. The satisfaction, the fulfillment, all come in this because, well, let's just read the last verse because this is where what we all want in our lives. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. That's really what we want in our lives. We want the good hand of God to be on us as we're going through life. Lord, I just want your good hand. Circle the word good. And write the word tov. It's a Hebrew word. It's a beautiful Hebrew word. It means goodness. And it's such a rich word that we'll see it over and over again in our Hebrew Bible. The word tov. Ah, it's just, that's what we need at the top. The goodness of God. And that comes as he rebuilds us with his grace as we trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. I just want to invite you today. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to join the adventure. We're an adventure to... Allow God to rebuild our own hearts. And it starts with that commitment that says, yep, yep, I need this. Yeah, I'm going to be honest before God. I'm a sinner. 
I need a Savior. I want God's grace to come into my life. I want to do the work inside of my heart. That's what I need. That's what I want in my life. And then, hey, join with us as we continue to build together. I call this whole series Building Together, partly because it's the, the, the joining of our hands to build and do the work. But God wants to build in each one of our lives together. And so as we fellowship together, as we work together, as we share, we have a mission. And God is in the middle of that in our lives. And we want him to have his way in our lives and in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, I ask for your grace to work in our lives. Lord, we need you. We are so small. We are so weak. And you are awesome. And Lord, we just ask that you'd show us how we can be part of your plan. Reveal to us ways that we can contribute to what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for the church, the vehicle through which you're working today. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us courage. And give us the ability to step out and trust you as we build together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for sharing in this message. We pray it will make a difference in your life. Please consider joining us for our Sunday morning and evening worship services. For location and more information, visit our website, www.gracewaybc.org, and listen next time to learn more. May the God of peace richly bless you through his Son, Jesus Christ.